When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. We welcome you along on this Tuesday morning, the shortest day of the week, summer solstice, 21st of June. John Paul taking your calls this morning at 0818 103 103. Text and WhatsApp also available to you at 086 And my apologies to Shane who contacted us yesterday, but we had a rather busy programme with people talking about the cost of living and people talking about should we be back wearing uh, masks. And it's funny looking at the papers today, same topics are still dominating all of the papers, be it on mask wearing or be it on cost of living and what are the government going to do about the cost of living. And in the middle of all of that, Shane sent in a text because he'd been at the Corpus Christi procession in McCroom, the on Sunday and he contacted us because he said the traffic normally for a Corpus Christi procession through McCroom is normally directed around the back road which allows the Corpus Christi procession then to proceed through the town but that didn't happen on Sunday. He said the traffic was allowed through as people were walking through the main street taking part in the Corpus Christi procession. He said not only was it dangerous but he also thought it was very disrespectful and he said he didn't see any Gardaí around and normally the Gardaí would be there. And I know for many towns and parishes that held a Corpus Christi procession, it was their first one in uh, some three years. I think 2019 would have been their last one because 2020 would have been cancelled. Last year would have been been cancelled, obviously, because of the COVID times in which we were uh, living in. Now, I don't know who organises the redirection of the traffic. Is it up to the parish to contact the Gardaí to say we're having the Corpus Christi procession? Was it because there hasn't been one on for the last couple of years that somebody forgot to make contact with the Gardaí? I don't know who's at fault there or why was the decision taken not to redirect the the traffic. But Shane in McCroom felt it was very disrespectful but he also felt it was uh, dangerous. Uh, 0818103103 Your thoughts welcomed on that and thank you to somebody who says it's the longest day of the year not the shortest did I say the shortest sorry I'm nearly I'm nearly wishing winter upon us already of course it is it is the longest day of the year it's the day in which we have most sunlight the 21st of June thank you to somebody very quickly pointing that out by text to 0862103103 and while we were talking yesterday about the cost of living and how the cost of living is affecting everyone Eddie from Douglas uh, was on to us and was saying where are the government's priorities. Well, you can have an elderly lady that I spoke about yesterday who gets on a train in Dublin 
and travels down to Cork. She makes her sandwiches. She brings her sandwiches with her and a bottle of water. And then she gets off the train in Cork. She sits in the train station for probably about an hour, has her sandwich, has her bottle of water. And then she gets back on the train and heads home to Dublin. She can do it because she has free travel. But the reason she's doing it is not that she enjoys the train trip. It's not that she likes to come and sit in the train station in Cork. She's doing it to stay warm on very cold days. That's what she's taken to doing because she can't afford to put the heating on and the oil has gone so expensive she's trying to spare what oil she has at the moment. So Eddie was commenting on that story that I relayed yesterday and said while that is going on we have a government or a government department that has decided to spend one million euro installing a landline into every prison cell in the country. Prisoners, says our Eddie in Douglas, are locked up for a reason and he could not believe what he was reading when he saw that uh, prisoners are to get uh, landlines. And the story he's talking about with the one million, can I say to you, Eddie, and this might disturb you, you might need to turn off your radio because the one million you're talking about is the money that has been spent so far this year on installing a landline into 804 prison uh, cells and the work is underway to extend the convenience of having their own uh, land uh, line um, to every inmate in the state. Four of the country's 12 detention facilities now have. Now it is an analogue, it's the ordinary landline phone in every cell, meaning that inmates in Castlereagh, in Clover Hill in Limerick Prison and in the Midlands Prison can all now make phone calls without having to leave their cells. I mean, we all have the traditional image of prisoners lining up at a kind of a a traditional payphone having their telephone conversations and everyone behind can hear. So obviously there's a level of privacy here in the notion that they won't have to leave their own cells. The purchase and the installation of the equipment so far has cost 1.1 million euro and it's intended to provide an in-cell telephone for prisoners here in Cork, in Port Leash, in Wheatfield and in the Duca Centre and it's hoped that every prison cell will have a phone installed by the end of the year. Now inmates in Mountjoy and Arbour Hill which is the National Centre of course for the male sex uh, offenders, they're going to have to wait until next year, 2023, before they'll have their phones installed. The phone handsets themselves we're told are basic. They cost a very modest €16 each according to the records which were released under Freedom of Information. However, there is IT equipment costs associated with the installing of these phones and obviously they have to run cables to every single cell and that's what's bringing it up to over a million euro so far on the uh, over 800 that have been installed. The handset currently allows only outgoing calls although a spokesperson for the Irish Prison Service says a dial-in system may be considered into the future so these phones are not going to be ringing off the hook but it could be something that could happen uh, later on. Somebody within the prison service described the project as a very positive initiative Uh, It would be of great benefit to those who are in the prison system, uh, both now and into the future, citing the importance of maintaining family relationships. One of the benefits is that the in-cell telephones allow prisoners to choose the time that they want to make the calls to suit themselves 
and the people they are calling. Now, obviously, there are going to be strict limits on the prisoners' use of the phone. They'll only be allowed approved numbers. Their calls, obviously, at all times are recorded and the frequency and the duration of the calls are subject to limits. And we don't have the information on what, what are the, the, the limits, but it does look like they will be allowed to make the calls when, which suit them and suit their family members. Now, seemingly there's a parliamentary party question last month put to the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, on this particular issue. And she says, maintaining contact with family and friends while in custody played an important role in the rehabilitation of prisoners. She noted that the rollout of the project uh, may be affected, though, by supply chain issues and the availability of resources. So there could be a delay with more prisoners getting their own phones in their cells. But the key part from the Department of Justice and from the Minister for Justice is it is helping in the rehabilitation of prisoners and it's important that they maintain contact with their family members. But Eddie in Douglas is just questioning the timing of all of this, spending this kind of money at a time when we've got rising inflation and we have... a. Eddie says pensioners sitting on a train just to stay warm is that the timing of this is all wrong or the other side of it you know you're looking at prisoners I mean he did say prisoners are locked up for a reason but you'll have the other side of the fence of people saying look when somebody breaks the law does something wrong ends up in prison the main thing is they've lost their liberty they are locked uh, away you know how tough should it be when they're locked away People argue for and against how tough that should be. Others say, and this is what the minister is saying, we need to, when people go into prison, they need to be rehabilitated. And if staying in contact with their family members helps with that, that's obviously one of the reasons they've decided to put landline telephones. They're not mobiles, even though God knows mobiles have been smuggled into prison and we've seen a lot of that in uh, the past. But now if these landlines are there, maybe there won't be such a need to smuggle in the mobile phones. But there will be, there is allocated phone numbers. It's not that they can just decide to ring anyone that they like. So your thoughts welcomed on that. Eddie just feels the optics of it is all wrong and the government priorities are wrong. If they have that kind of money available to to them, then it should be spent on people who really need it the most, like old age pensioners sitting on a train just to stay warm. Your thoughts welcomed at 0818 103 103. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. And if you are a Christy Moore fan, make sure you stay tuned because later on today I will play you a clip from a well-known Christy Moore song. I need you to identify the song and then we'll be asking you to text or WhatsApp your answer along with your name and address and then you're in with a chance of heading along to see the wonderful Christy Moore live and he, the man is incredible live. I think all of us have seen Christy Moore at some stage on TV over the years. He's appeared many, many times on TV programmes but there's something really special about a Christy Moore gig and you you will have a chance to win a pair of tickets for Live at the Marquee to Christy Moore next Saturday night here on C103. Listeners saying, Patricia, whatever about the cost of living, what about that poor couple in Tipperary who passed away? May they rest in peace. In this day and age, how could a couple be dead for maybe over a year in their own home? How come no service checked in on them? And this is the really sad story that broke out of uh, Tipperary, South Tipperary yesterday. This body of this couple uh, undiscovered they're there they're reckoning at this stage now obviously they're going to have to wait for the post-mortem results but they reckon the Gardaí feel that they could be there for at least a, a year locals told Gardaí they thought that the elderly man and woman 
both aged in their late 70s and originally from England. Many local people in the area believed that they had gone back to England, but the grim discovery was made about four o'clock yesterday afternoon when Gardaí called. Now, it's a very remote property at uh, Clonine in uh, South Tipperary. The bodies were understood to have been there for so long that dental records now will be required for the actual formal identification, even though locally everybody knows who this couple are. Locals told officers that the couple hadn't been seen locally since 2020 at the start of the pandemic. And people had thought that they had moved away from Ireland because of the COVID pandemic and that they had returned to England. And now, unfortunately, with what was discovered yesterday, that was not the case. Now, seemingly concerns were raised by some neighbours when the fact that they hadn't seen or heard anything from them. So the Gardaí were called in yesterday and then they gained access uh, to the uh, property yesterday and unfortunately discovered the couple dead inside. And the indications were that the couple have been dead for a considerable period of time. But as I say, state pathologist is um, the Office of Safety Policy. The Office of the State Pathologist on their way to the scene. It's expected the bodies will be removed to University Hospital Waterford sometime today. Full post-mortem then will uh, take place. Gardaí are indicating no initial indications of any foul play, thankfully, involved in the deaths. No sign of a disturbance, for example, in the house. And there was no sign that there had been any forced uh, entry. So the detectives are, are now are investigating whether the deaths may have just been a tragic accident or could they be linked to some medical cause. It's believed that one of the couple is understood to have a history of health issues in the Guardian now obviously uh, appealing for information on the couple. But really, really sad. And and I think for the neighbours as well, I know it's a very rural area, so they wouldn't, it wasn't that they were in the middle of a housing estate and they would have had neighbours right on top of them. But I think for people locally as well, they'll be devastated uh, with this with this news but they were of the belief that they had left and of course during COVID times people weren't uh, people weren't being seen out and about but one of our listeners is saying was there no service checking in on them you would have thought you would have thought a couple in their 70s particularly if one of them did have health uh, issues that there would have been like maybe a public health nurse or a local GP or somebody would have been checking or if, you know, and the far, I suppose if the pharmacy if they weren't collecting prescriptions probably just assumed that they had returned uh, to England and many people did that at the start of the pandemic decided you know people I mean we saw it in, we saw so many people in this country who left I mean, Eastern Europeans for example many of them decided to go home particularly when we knew there was going to be extended periods of lockdown so I suppose that's for the majority of the local people that's what they thought had happened but it's a really sad sad case uh, indeed and uh, may they both Rest in peace. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now, yesterday we started the programme with the news that the Irish fishermen were to mount a protest off the southwest coast in a bid to prevent the French Navy from staging military exercises later this week on important fishing grounds. Patrick Murphy of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation once again joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Patrick. Good morning, Patricia. Now, and once again, good morning to the listeners. And now, firstly, we were, we were literally just finished our chat when you had an update from the Irish Department of Transport. Um, just, just tell us what happened yesterday and, and, what, and what unfolded after we had our chat. So what happened was a new 
So they've changed. They've changed the position now of these. Yes, they've, yeah. they've given assurances that they won't be coming into our EEZ. Similar to what we achieved with the Russians, they're doing it in, in deeper waters and waters away from the biologically sensitive area. Look, we, we don't agree with these exercises, but this is the best scenario that we could have reached for this, and we did so in 24 hours, Patricia. Well done. And we did so not thanks to us, but thanks to yourself and the rest of the media who raised this, so it got things moving. Now that's not yeah, the but end we, of the story. yeah, but we wouldn't even have known it was going on, Patrick, unless you you groups like your good self uh, let us know. I mean, we were completely unaware that these exercises were taking place. But it leads me to ask you the question: Am I going to have to have endless interviews with you? If these exercises continue, I mean, into the future, you can't keep battling with different countries, asking them to stay out of our waters, please. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And on that note, Patricia, we have another plan in place that we'll be unveiling today. So as you knew, our press release said that we're going to formulate a plan. It wasn't just the same as the last time in protesting. We were going to escalate it. And myself and Brendan Byrne, who visited uh, Yuri Filatov, the ambassador, we're heading to the French embassy today if we didn't get what we were looking for. So I'm actually stopped in Abbey Leaks now because I'm going to continue my journey. We're going to meet uh, myself and Brendan Byrne and we're going to formulate a plan to look for a moratorium on these exercises to be excluded from Irish EEZ uh, for at least 10 years. And I think that's a reasonable request and that we will be hoping for support from everybody to get this. We have to protect our marine areas. We're talking about protecting 30% of them and actually Fair Seas had uh, an area mapped out there that they were looking to create as an MPA. Right bang smack in the middle of where these exercises were to take place. So I'm hoping that we will get support for um, this intervention and and this hopefully future possible change. And And we do so with a legal background. So United Nations Article 25, Paragraph 1 and Paragraph 3 state that countries don't have to allow vessels to transit through their waters if they are doing harm. And I won't read out exactly what it says, but, you know, this this is legal precedent that we can ask our same minister, Minister Coveney, who sits in the UN uh, Council, to bring this forward and look for a moratorium and, you know, be a world leader in protecting marine areas uh, from these activities. Yeah, and the problem is with a lot of these military exercises, you've no real way of predicting how much damage they could potentially do. No, 
you're you're one hundred percent correct. And we ourselves work with our scientists on designing and working out how much fish you can take um, annually out of a stock uh, to make sure that it's sustainable and, and work out the figures and look through all the data that comes through. Um, and for the same here, we believe that there should be a precautionary approach taken here, same as when we don't have the full set of data and err on the side of caution, because you can't undo the damage that's being done in our waters uh, if this thing continues and, and it's too late. And like you said, and again, Patricia, I do wish to thank you again and John Paul for a lot to come on and, and get this message out to the people because this is important. Yeah, and, you know, we're into the summer season and so many people will, you know, head to beautiful areas like West Cork and they'll go, you know, whale watching and dolphin watching and we'll see all those gorgeous videos that people will post up on on their social media. I mean, whales and dolphins, and you mentioned this uh, yesterday, they're greatly affected by underwater noise. Yeah, they use their own intersoners to, to communicate and, and the clicks and noises that they make to each other. You know, there's, it's well-documented nature programs and stuff like this. So you can imagine, you know, th- how sensitive they are. And, and next thing, there's an explosion going off. Like, we, when we raised the issue of seismic surveys um, and we were working with uh, Richie O'Donnell on the Atlantic, at 300 and plus miles, uh, an explosion from the air guns for the, for the seismic activity would travel 300 miles. So you can imagine um, these animals, like it would be impossible to be able to gain what it'd be like. I suppose it'd be like a, a gun going off at the side of your ear. Mm. And, and, and we remember, you know, the, the case that was taken by our um, military, you know, for damage to hearing just because they didn't have the earmuffs on. So you can imagine this is the same for these mammals, like, and they end up stranded on, on beaches and everything else all around the place. And look, it's, it's nice for the fishermen to be able to raise this um, to show that we are, as uh, Savignius said, our, our commissioner, the custodians of the sea. And, and we're delighted with this outcome, to be honest with you. OK, so you're, you're off to Dublin now in the hope of getting this a moratorium for at least 10 years. Yeah, well, we're going to start the work today now. We're actually setting out the quota management for uh, the next month as well. So we're going to be sitting down with the department and, and the rest of our colleagues in Egg House today. So there's there's a multiple of jobs, unfortunately, that goes on day in, day out. Patricia, this is just another one. So I'm hoping Brendan Byrne now and myself, he was to draft out a bit of paperwork for this while I was doing the other job. And um, hopefully we'll be able to launch something in the next few days, you know. Okay, and outside of uh, fighting the Russians and uh, the French, you're always there campaigning on behalf of the fishermen. How, How is the industry doing at the moment, Patrick? They're struggling, to be are honest with you, Patricia. They are. And look, people are complaining about the increase in fish prices and all food is going up. But look, it's better to pay a little bit extra than not to have it at all. And and it is a nutritious food that people, you know, should be eating more of. There's no additives, no preservatives, nothing in it. It's one of the most healthiest foods. And it is sustainable. It's going on for hundreds and thousands of years. And contrary to some of the publicity that's given out, the bad publicity, if you look up uh, the European website, you'll see that the stocks have increased by 50% since 1997 through the efforts of, of the fishermen, you know, and they're continuously doing so. In actual fact, um, there's a new one being done now this month uh, with the scientists. We're tagging cod 
to try and make sure that you can release them back into the environment and, and give them a, a second chance to live, you know, just like the anglers do when they catch the mm. fish and release them. We're trying to find ways and means of doing this. And there's an awful lot of effort going into designing fishing gears, um, Patricia, that allow fish to escape. It's constantly being worked on, you know, to make sure that we only catch the ones that are sustainable. Yeah, that's why when you hear of, you know, military exercises going on that would, you know, have, you know, the potential disruption it will have, uh, you know, even to the, the migratory path of uh, fish at this time of year, it just makes apps. It's mind blowing. It just makes absolutely no sense at all when we're all on about sustainability. Anyway, listen, Patrick, safe travels to you and uh, pleasure as always. And thank you once again for joining us on the programme. And, and thanks again, Patricia, to yourself and John Paul. It's really appreciated to get this platform. And we do hope to speak to you again. And it will never get tiresome. OK, you mind yourself. Safe driving. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is Patrick Murphy, who is CEO of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation. New research from the HSE and Healthy Ireland reveals that families are spending more than ever on treat foods at a time when food costs are surging. What now needs to be done to get families to make more healthy food choices? To talk about the latest supermarket data analysed by START, which is a public health campaign from Safe Food. I'm joined by Sarah O'Brien, who's the national lead from the HSE's Healthy Eating and Active Living programme. Good morning to you, Sarah. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're, me. Well, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, the survey shows that in a four week period, it was up to the middle of April, as households, we spend 21% on treats compared to just 7% on a fruit. Does that figure worry you? Yeah, it is a bit concerning, um, uh, Patricia. Like it's, it's, it's a significant part of um, the, the family budget. And from when we would have looked at this data, uh, similar data back in 2019 before COVID, it is, it is slightly up in terms of the, the percentage of... Um, spend on sweet foods like biscuits, crisps, chocolates, and and down in terms of fruit, uh, vegetable and fruit. And I know, uh, as you mentioned it there, you know, and we hear it every day on the radio that the price of food is increasing. Um, but when we look at the, the CSO um, cost of living data, what, what we do see is um, that uh, the, the price increases or the percentage price increases in terms of fruit and vegetables Aren't um, aren't very high compared with say uh, for for everyday foods like bread and milk. So so the price of fruit and vegetables haven't really gone up. Um, though people do often have a perception that uh, fresh foods like fruit and vegetables are are more expensive, but they. The, the actual price hasn't really increased. That's but, interesting but because I, I would have thought that for, for many people would think that the, the unhealthy options are hmm. cheaper than the healthy options. Are they not? Well, the, the, there similarly hasn't been a, a significant jump in, in the price of, of the foods like biscuits, crisps and, and cakes and chocolate neither. But I suppose the, the difference is the um, these are the foods that are marketed very heavily to us and are, are marketed as being a, a more cost-effective, cheaper, highly processed foods, healthier, or, uh, more cost-effective options, mm. um, options for, for families. And, you know, when, when families are looking... Uh, 
looking um, at their budgets, looking at, at what they can do, um, it, it's very easy to, uh, you know, to take on board those messages and, and think that you're, you're you're doing the best for you, for your budget. Um, whereas I, I think if, if if the one one take home message people can take from from today is is to to look in in the fruit and veg aisle again next time that you're you're in the um, supermarket. In the supermarket. Yeah, um, because when when I mentioned that we were going to be discussing this and that you were going to be joining us, one listener was saying, "What do supermarkets have a role to play?" Uh, she was making the point that everywhere you turn, there seems to be an offer on the treat foods. Oh, absolutely, and that that is one of the um, the big challenges and big difficulties for for parents and um, is how much marketing and how much product placement and all of these um two for one offers and how how frequently they are on uh those high fat salt and sugar foods rather than on the everyday staples and, and the healthier options like fruit and veg like your your bread and your milk and um the the foods that are lower down on on, on the food shelf the foods that are our healthy eating guidelines say you should be consuming every day um the 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 foods that are primarily on on offer and being promoted to us in in supermarkets are the foods that the healthy eating guidelines um they look not every day uh, maybe once a week uh, and and in in moderation so um there's the supermarkets they have a role to play but do, so do the um the food industry and and the the producers um because it's it's all a, a wider network there and there's definitely lots more i think that they could do to support parents Mm. And, and, and certainly I think every time I'm in a supermarket you can see the pester power of children you know mm. a mother pushing the trolley or it can be a father as well and the children begging can we have this can we have this can we have this it's it's really tough on parents it is it is and I think that's like there are while, while there's definitely a role for the supermarkets and, and for the food industry to look at their practices and, and look at how they can better support parents. Um, I suppose from at, at a practical level, uh, there, there are some small things parents can do themselves and, and that's what the START campaign is about, is around supporting parents um, in, in taking those, those actions. So, so things like, uh, again, uh, planning before you go to the supermarket, having a conversation at home around um, what what you're going to get in your shopping this week. If it's not in the trolley, it doesn't come home. If it's not at home, um, it, it can't be eaten during the week. Um, and uh, you know those those kind of kind of things, and also like making plans as as a family, maybe starting a a, a healthy eating challenge. I've done it myself this week with my my daughter at home when we set ourselves a target to eat um, more fruit and veg. Uh, during the week, both of us, um, but uh, and use things depending on the age of your children, things like star charts and that. But do do it as a do it as a family, um, and then we are um, like actively looking to um, to the government and, and to industry of and promotion of high fat, salt and sugar foods and, and beverages, non-alcoholic beverages. Look, looking to them to uh, strengthen. The, the the implementation of those codes and, and those codes call for things like um, uh, a sweet treat checkouts. They they call for things like um, in in those in those um, you know bundles where you go into a a, a garage or that and you have um, 
a sandwich and a coffee and a chocolate bar that like you know the 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 the, the package that should be advertised is is the healthier one the sandwich the fruit piece of fruit and, and the water rather than the chocolate bar yeah and you, you and know? you know you see you get you get sucked in by those offers mm. you might have gone in there not even thinking about the chocolate bar but because oh for an extra euro i can throw in the big chocolate bar with it and we kind of exactly. get sucked and in by those promotions absolutely and when 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 value for money is is top of mind you know when you as has happened to me recently uh one at a or treat night i was ordering a pizza and um i've thought oh well this is the price and uh, but you can get two for another three euro yeah like, yeah yeah <laughs> we all do it we all we absolutely yeah. all do it but of course the bigger concern and the bigger worry Sarah, is the rising levels of primary children who are overweight or even obese. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we do have, um, like before COVID, our our data was showing us that that, uh, at least one in five children across all ages, so that's kind of preschool age three up through the teenage years, was living with um, with overweight and and obesity, and that's a, a concern because it does lead to um, health uh, difficulties later in life, but also uh, for for children now there can be be health de- health difficulties, um, whether that is uh, in terms of being bullied or, or self esteem issues, uh, asthma. Uh, exacerbation of asthma and and, and uh, in some cases even developing type two diabetes. So so it it is a concern and I suppose the this is the the challenge for for children and and, and parents is um you know what we eat and how much we move can have a huge impact on that. The last two years in terms of COVID nineteen have caused significant disruption for children and families in terms of. Of, of that in terms of their ability to be involved in, in sporting activities in the, in the social life um, a lot of schooling moved to to online as well as you know when 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 all the sporting clubs and all of those were closed down there was, it was challenging to find things things to do and um, you know we did the Definitely, definitely through the start campaign over that period when we were talking to parents, they they told us that um, you know that 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 they they knew that uh, the consumption of street foods at home was higher because of the environment we we were in, um, and we've seen from see from data in the UK, uh, which is collected more regularly than our data here in Ireland, that that actually they can see that change that impact on the weight of children. And, and they are definitely seeing more children um, in, in primary schools present with overweight and more children present with with obesity. Um, so we expect to see something similar here yeah, when we do yeah. the COSI data collection next next school year. But I think the important thing as well for, for parents and for children to remember is, you know, children are growing. Um, it, it's not inevitable. We can take steps now, like looking at um, at what we're eating, looking at at, at how much we're we're moving, um, and um, put changes in place. And those are the small changes that our campaign is trying. Yeah, to and, you, and yeah, I mean, with. your your star campaign is excellent. I mean, you've got the, those TV ads and everything that, that that go with it, and it's all about starting to make those changes. And they can be small, but the, it's to be consistent. But I also Absolutely. think it's talk to your children about what you're doing it doesn't have to be a fight every single day 
Absolutely, yeah. Do um, it, it has to be. It has to be a conversation, and it has to be something that that, that happens as a whole at home in the family. And on uh, and look, I I have children myself. I know these are difficult conversations to have, and the <laughs> because we eat every day, mm. um, they can be conversations that you have to have every day, and and more than once a day as as well. But um, on on the our website makeastart.ie, we do have some really good videos from child psychologists just given tips around having those conversations um, you know kind of and also around that piece around how you manage the saying no how you managing that how you manage that negotiation piece um, at home so I would I would suggest people do definitely take a look at the website and take a look at those and that uh, starts the, the website is makeastart.ie makeastart.ie uh, and I think your other tip if it's not don't put it in the trolley in the supermarket because it doesn't end up in the cupboard it won't get eaten and that's for Absolutely. all of us even as, as adults listen Absolutely, Sarah yeah. thank you very informative chat uh, I really enjoyed it thank you for that and uh, uh, thanks for joining us on the programme okay. good morning to you bye bye Sarah O'Brien there she's national lead from the HSE's Healthy Eating and Active Living um, a programme as I say there uh, they've loads of information on their start campaign up online uh, take a look at it question for you please Patricia uh, what do you know if you your bank card is scammed do the bank have to refund the money to the customer well it kind of depends on what type of way you have been scammed you might be able to get your money back looking up on the citizens information wonderful and very informative website they say you might get your money back after you've been scammed but it depends on what happened and it depends on how you paid the scammer and the type of scammer now obviously if it's an unauthorised transaction from your account then in most circumstances the banks will refund you for an unauthorised uh, payment but then if you bought something from a scammer you need to get onto the bank and you do a process called a charge back and you should be able to get your money back uh, that way but if it's money that was sent say by bank transfer you didn't realise it was the scammer but if it's sent by bank transfer one of the main ones being Western Union that can be very difficult to trace but the advice as always is that as soon as you think you've been scammed you need to get onto your bank ASAP and they're so many different scams doing the rounds at the moment you just have to be so careful so if you think in any way you've been uh, scammed whether you have or you haven't the advice is is to get onto your bank as soon as possible but in a lot of cases yes you will get the money back eventually it isn't the easiest and it's not the quickest system to get your money back I know my credit card had been skimmed at some stage and I, I did get the money back but it took it was many many weeks before I eventually did uh, get the money back but get onto your bank as I say a S-A-P. 0818-103-103. We're heading towards the news at 11 o'clock. I'll take a look at some of your calls coming into the programme and comments coming into the programme. And in the next hour, we're hearing about a campaign to have more specialist neurology nurses. And uh, seemingly there's a big call they're needed, especially here in Cork. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay.
Phone and text lines are currently closed. And listening to my chat with Patrick Murphy on behalf of the Fish Producers Organisation doing their bit to try to try to protect their industry. And that's what a wonderful man Patrick is. And Brendan Byrne, we also spoken about. We're lucky to have people like that keeping the wildlife and our environment safe for all of us, says Anne, who also wants to comment on the piece that I mentioned at the top of the programme. And it was... Uh, Eddie and Douglas asked me to mention it, the story of the prisoners getting a landline telephone installed in their cells. Anne says, well, I've heard it all now, Patricia. Imagine getting phones in a prison cell. I know pr- prisoners also get medical cards, they get dental checked, they get their eyes checked, they can go for free special classes. I must go and do something wrong so I can end up what I what sounds to me like free luxury hotel accommodation. I haven't had a break in three years why I can't afford it on my state pension. I worked all my life and paid all of my stamps in order to get my state a pension. Where I worked by the way, we didn't have a private pension so I didn't have an option to pay in to one so I'm trying to survive on the state uh, pension. I don't know if prisoners would uh, agree and say it was a free luxury hotel and at the end of the day their liberty is gone but listen, you're summing up what a lot of people feel that when people go into prison that they get too many luxuries but on the other side they'll say the prison officers and the Department of Justice will say for rehabilitation reasons they do a lot of the work that's done in prisons in the hope that when a prisoner leaves that they won't reoffend. Now it doesn't always work because it can be like a revolving door sometimes with people reoffending. Someone else very annoyed about this. There's no name on this text. Says Patricia Proof once again that the law in this country is an ass. These people can break into, for example, an old age pensioner's home, rob and beat them up. And in some cases they've been left for dead and they'll be rewarded. What would now? A nice free phone in their prison cell. It's more like a prison hotel. Meanwhile, the victim, that older person who needs a phone, as often it can be their only means of contact, they'll have to end up paying through the nose for the facility. Why not give these people a break for a change? says a somebody by uh, WhatsApp. Uh, someone else says, Tricia, what in God's name uh, is becoming of this country? Hearing you talk about giving prisoners free phones in their cells, we must be the laughing stock of the, of the world. We are rewarding con artists with phones, free TV, best of food, everything they want. And yet for the rest of us, we have to pay for it. Does it not say that it pays to be bad today hearing this story? Hi, Patricia. I was shocked when I heard you say about prisoners and the phones. People out there are cold. There's people hungry, people depressed. And the government are giving people in prison everything for free. And then Mary suggests, would it not save the state money if the prison phone calls were incoming calls only? Instead of outgoing calls, would this not be a way for the government to save money? Would they not think like that, says Mary? Well, they did They did mention that they may look at allowing incoming calls, but I suppose if they were allowing incoming calls, how would they limit the number of incoming calls? But I suppose the technology is probably there for it, but Mary reckons it would save. Put in the free phones, but don't allow people to phone out on them because when you make a call there's going to be a cost uh, involved and someone else said outrageous to hear that story this morning how do you contact a murder victim in a cemetery what about their families 
and this story will upset people who uh, lo- whose loved ones have died. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think of that, but it's a, it's a fair point. Thank you for that to 0862103103. Hi, Patricia. Fantastic to see the new boardwalk in Mallow now, officially named after the late Councillor Dan Joe Fitzgerald. But hopefully this new bo- boardwalk won't be full of dog uh, fouling. Well, I was on it over the weekend. It was looking very pristine and perfect, obviously, in advance of the official naming of it uh, yesterday. I'd been on it a few weeks weeks ago and obviously when I'm out walking with Marsha with her being visually impaired my eyes are constantly down on the ground when I'm walking with her because obviously she can't see what she would end up walking into and I have to say that it was a couple of uh, weeks ago I remember walking across the boardwalk and I think I counted six individual pieces of dog fouling that I had to sort of walk her around so as to that she wouldn't end up traipsing uh, in us. So, yeah. So people are walking their dogs over the boardwalk for sure, but it's just people trying, please be responsible and pick up after yourself. But I mean, we're, we're, we're sick to the teeth of trying to get that message out to people. Are we not? I don't know if we will ever see an end to dog fouling. They seem to get it under control in other countries. On my recent trip to Spain and the Spanish people are really into their dogs. And obviously there's a lot of people are walking their dogs early in the morning and late in the evening. They didn't have them out in the heat of the day. But I don't think once when I was walking Marsh around did I have to sort of say, oh, avoid this dog poo there. And everywhere I went, every time I saw people out with their dog, they all had their bags uh, with them. Lots of places for them to dispose of them. I did notice. I did notice that. But certainly everyone very, very responsible and cleaning up after their dogs. We have a lot of work, I think, uh, to do in this country. I do believe, you know, if get tough and everybody says start finding people and one way I think is what the Australians have done Australia is another country that really got a handle on the on their dog fouling and it's an offence in Australia to be out walking with your dog you can be stopped if you don't have the poo bags with you you're expected as you leave your house you have your dog on your lead and you must have the bags with you and therefore dog wardens and I've I saw it in action uh, years ago when I was in Australia dog wardens stopping people and saying do you have the do you have the bags with you and if they don't have the bags with them this is they're not waiting for the dog to do anything but if they don't have the bags with you then you can be instantly fined and it seems to work so there are other things that we could do but it would need of course a lot more dog wardens out on the street 0818 103 103 Gerard on the wearing of masks Gerard said I heard three individual doctors yesterday speaking on national radio national radio and all three of them were asked about should we bring back the mandatory nature of wearing masks? And all three of them said the only masks that are effective against the current COVID variants that are highly contagious are the medical grade masks, along with boosters for those who need it. That is the only way to go. So unless you could convince everyone to wear a medical grade mask, bringing back in the cloth mask or the plastic mask would be absolutely pointless. Have a good day, uh, says Jared. And the problem with the medical grade mask is they cost more. And and the medical grade masks, they're, you know, they're one use and then you throw them away. The problem is that if you bring that in as a mandatory nature, that the government would have to do something to issue those masks to people or to have them on sale at a reduced price. 
because they certainly are expensive. And I know I bought a box of them earlier in the year when we were traveling, when we were planning on traveling for the first time. And I was nervous about getting on a plane and nervous about being at the airport. And I was checking out what was the best masks to use. And these medical grade masks came up and I remember I ended up buying a box of them and they were they were pretty pricey uh, indeed particularly if you're going to be you know wearing them a lot and changing them and throwing them away and then using uh, new ones if you've got a, a big family it would work out very expensive uh, indeed but yes the medical experts will all say that that is the most effective way is to have the medical grade mask thanks for your WhatsApp Jared to 0862 103 103 and a lot of people also by the way commenting on the other story that I mentioned at the top of the programme and that was the that very sad story coming out of Tipperary the bodies of that, that elderly couple in their 70s who were found yesterday afternoon and they reckon they've been dead for it could be up to a, a year and people are saying how can that happen in this day and age that a couple could be you know found dead after you know over a year whatever but being dead for for a few days and in the neighbours now it was a very rural area but people living in that area in their defence they were an English couple and they believed that they'd returned to the UK at the start of the pandemic Pat makes the, and a lot of people just very saddened to hear that story but Pat said what about the census enumerator the census census enumerator would have called earlier in the year have to call to every house would they have not have followed up when the census wasn't sent back we see the enumerator can't just push the census through the door they have to physically meet the person so I'm assuming the census enumerator would have knocked on the door uh, wouldn't have got an answer would have called back and knocked on the door again I don't know how many attempts the census enumerator has to make before they eventually give up but I'm assuming they would have asked a house in the locality you know that house down the road I'm not getting any answer and somebody in the locality would possibly have said oh they're so and so They've gone back to England. We haven't seen them since last year. You know, they've gone back to the UK. So the, the, so a census form wouldn't have actually been, wouldn't have been handed in because there was no one to take in the, uh, the census. But yes, there's somebody who definitely would have called to the house at some stage for sure, Pat. 0818103103. C103 Jobs. Qualified care stylist is wanted for work in Bantry. Email CVs to info at jessiejhurley at yahoo.com. Care assistants are required to work 19 and a half hours per week. It's in the Rathmore area. Applicants must qualify for a community employment scheme. Sean is your contact at 089 2247454. Production operators wanted for Mill Street. Please email info at kellyservices.ie. And electronic technician is wanted for Super Loom in Caractua. Flexible hours are available. Email jerry at superloom.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Senate has heard calls for extra neurology nurse specialists to be appointed for the Cork and Kerry area. To find out more, I'm joined by Fianna Fáil Senator Dennis O'Donovan who raised the issue in the Senate last week. Uh, good morning. Good morning to you, Dennis. Good morning. And uh, you're welcome to the programme. Would I be right in saying that there's a shortage nationwide of neurology nurses? This isn't just a Cork and Kerry issue. Well, I, I believe there are, but the communications I've got from some nurses and some uh, relatives of patients, say with stroke or epilepsy or Parkinson's, who have difficulty accessing the services, the facts are uh, quite simply that uh, 
both national and international guidelines recommend that there should be 20 neurology nurse specialists in the uh, southwest region, basically serves Cork and Kerry. And unfortunately, at the moment, there are only four. So that means that there's, uh, it's only 20%. If, if, you, if you look at the analogy of somebody going out of Castor and Bear with a fishing trawler and uh, they normally would have a skipper and maybe six crew or five crew and they, they head off out for a five-day fishing trip with just one crewman. Uh, I don't think they'd be out too long before they'd head back for port. So it's a crazy situation, and uh, I wasn't aware of this until it was brought to my attention, so I decided, along with Senator Jory Bottomer, to raise the issue last week. And unfortunately, the response I got from... Uh, the Minister of State, um, Frankie Fien, who was that even in that department, was the usual stuff, the palaver and fluffed up in, in, uh, in I suppose, a department speak and saying that they were uh, allocating a lot of money and they were going to improve the area, etc. So I felt it was important as somebody who had been diagnosed with epilepsy two or three years ago that I should highlight this, not personally for me. Uh, thankfully, I'm doing fine, but... Um, for I, others? I, well, okay. there's two specialist nurses for stroke and there's a lot of people, as you will be aware, Patricia, yeah. around there that would have suffered for stroke, of stroke and who may need the specialist nurses and this is not good enough uh, because that's probably the most common. Other areas are, are um, um, uh, Parkinson's and other areas and look, the, the, the nurse specialists in a region like CUH are, are critical to the area that we what, what role do they actually play? Well, they're, they basically are trained in the speciality of neurology. Uh, uh, some of them are trained specifically to deal with strokes. Uh, there's two of those such specialists in Cork. There should be, I believe, eight. Uh, some are trained in the neuro- neurological setup for epilepsy, which is a, a certain, I suppose, uh, training in itself. And others for neurology are, are for uh, uh, Parkinson's and uh, quite a lot of people have, have now been diagnosed with Parkinson's. So those specialist nurses can prevent people or, I suppose, help people to stay out of hospital beds and get the specialist treatment, uh, outpatient treatment, and uh, th- that's not happening. And if, uh, and if it is happening, uh, the amount of specialist nurses uh, b- makes it uh, a bit of a joke because uh, no way can four nurses... Uh, do the work region. of 20. Do the work of 20. No, yeah. if there was 15 or 16, I probably wouldn't be on your programme today. I'd say, look, we're getting close to the mark, but uh, 20% of the nurse specials are needed. Uh, that's all is available. And um, I was, uh, I suppose, unhappy with the response I got in the Senate last week. And, uh, and we're always hearing about waiting lists. I'm wondering, Dennis, would more specialist nurses, would they help with waiting lists? I'm glad you mentioned that point is absolutely correct. That would mean that uh, people who are waiting for such services, if there was a specialist nurse, could meet them and deal with it. It would, I would say, avoid probably 60, 70 percent of people having to go into hospital, taking up beds, etc. So that's a most important point, And I would totally agree that that uh, it would. Yeah, it would uh, help with that. Reduce. Yeah. And but it, it sounds like it is a very specialist area of nursing. Are there nurses available to fill these posts? If in the morning the HSE said, OK, let's get the extra 16 we need for Cork, are the nurses there? Well, they haven't said that. In their response, they were kind of glorifying the fact that it's been extra millions and billions in the health service. And uh, they didn't say, look, we're going to provide another five, seven or eight nurse specialists. And nurse specialists, same as, say, midwifery. Someone, uh, a nurse who is trained normally, wouldn't be going, to, going into the midwifery delivering babies. That, that each each uh, category would have their own specialist training. So these nurses, uh, specialist nurses who re- deal with, say, stroke uh, uh, patients, 
or with those with Parkinson's are specially trained in that particular uh, area of, of knowledge. And uh, you can't get an ordinary nurse, with all due respect, uh, who has done their SRN or whatever, uh, to, to be able to take up the role of the specialist. And that, that is the key, the, the real problem. Mm. And where does the decision lie on these additional posts? Is, is it down to the local HSE or will they come back and say this is a funding issue? Well, the Minister, uh, Minister of State, Frank Fien, said that, look, there's loads of money being pumped in. Uh, in other words, I think he's passing the book to a certain extent uh, to the HSE South. Uh, and uh, uh, my response from them is that uh, it, it appears now, if you read between the lines, that... Uh, there, there, there's no great need for the 20 nurses. But like, if they double that to 10 even, uh, I think, like the nurses have complained to me, people who have relations, maybe husbands or wives who, have, who are stroke victims, are reaching out to people like me saying, look, can you raise this issue because the uh, treatment we're getting is inadequate. No blame to the nurses that are there, but they're overworked and they're not enough of them. And that's a simple fact. Well, yeah, I'm asking for people to do the work of, of 20. And I, whenever we talk about the Cork area, we're such a huge county. Yes, indeed. And it goes beyond Cork County as well. Because it goes into I Kerry. Yeah, I live down in People say down in the Iviera Peninsula, like Sneem and further out, Cahar Daniel. Like, that's the situation you're in that you have. Um, uh, and these specialist nurses would prevent... In my view, a lot of people having to go in, especially if you can get into hospital uh, in these queues, because they're specialised and they can deal with uh, maybe people with strokes or people with Parkinson's or people with epilepsy out front as outpatient specialist nurses and uh, basically reduce the, the huge queues that are there. And sadly, for whatever reason, more and more people need the services of uh, neurology. I, was, I mean, I was only reading uh, Roisin Burke in the Echo this morning has, has a piece where she's quoting the Neurological Alliance of Ireland to obviously campaign on behalf of patients who need neurology service, backing up exactly what you're saying. But they're talking about like waiting lists for, for neurological services has increased by over 80 percent since 2015. I mean, that in itself is a shocking statement. It is absolutely. And look, in my situation, I was in emergency. If I if I hadn't been in the hospital within 20 minutes, I was I was in another planet now position. But say, let somebody gets a stroke, whether it's in Bantry or Castone Bear or Skibreen, uh, they need urgent attention. Initially, they may have to be hospitalised, but after that, the monitoring of that particular condition can be done by specialised nurses uh, uh, quite, quite, I think, competently. But the, the, the reality is that um, they're not there, and um, the response that didn't, um, certainly didn't uh, assuage, my, assuage my, my concerns, and uh, my concern is as, is as deep uh, as it was um, uh, this day last week. Okay, and and I know the the Neurological Alliance of Ireland have been looking for these extra nurses. They started a campaign. I think it was October of last year. So, uh, so so you're not giving up on this one, Dennis? No, and actually, just in case people say, "Why well, don't you get on to Minister Donnelly?" My first port of call was with the Minister, Minister Donnelly. Uh, I then put in a, a notice of motion to that would ensure that some minister would come into the Senate. I only got four minutes. The minister was eight minutes to reply. Uh, and like uh, uh, I would have hoped that Minister Donnelly would have come in to deal with it himself. He didn't. But uh, the department are aware of this, and I'm going to 
obviously maybe not before the summer recess which is about three weeks time but I have it in my diary for September when we come back that if there's no progress I will certainly raise this issue again You're going to press on You're going to press on Okay. And your epilepsy is completely under control now is it Dennis? Well you... I, f- I wonder if it's ever under control yeah. but I, I'm You live with it you, you Oh yeah, to, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm living a normal life and I can't complain and I was probably one of the lucky ones so. Yeah Yeah Absolutely Absolutely Well go, uh, good health to you And just w- while we have you on the line what, what did you make of Michael D Higgins? comments last night on the housing last week well, on the housing it was an interesting one and he made it some people says he shouldn't have that it was beyond his constitutional remit uh, possibly that's correct but look he probably deeply and passionately uh, believed in what he said and I think the government are in some kind of a trap because if you look back, look back historically um, probably before you were, you were around there was a Minister Paddy Cooney uh, called uh, the then President Carulo Dalig a thundering disgrace. And Carulo Dalig resigned. He, he, had, he yeah. resigned and that was the first instance of somebody I think resigning as president. That was a minor issue. But I think under the government government pressure that they're all under for whether it's the cost of living, whether for health issues, housing etc. I think no minister is going to rebuff the president because they don't want a situation where they'd, uh, they'd be forced into an election. And um, Technically, maybe the uh, president, Michael D. Higgins, might have slightly overstepped the mark. But what he said, uh, even though uh, the Minister for Housing, Darrell O'Brien, said he couldn't disagree with him, but he, he would prefer if he hadn't said it. But look, uh, the truth is the truth in whatever manner it comes out. And um, I actually, in a personal way, not a political way, uh, have... Um, I would resonate with what uh, the, the president said in the last occasion, and you know maybe maybe he should say things in that nature more often in a subtle way. And uh, I think that um, I, I don't have a problem with what he said. I don't know. I don't know I, how many more years does Michael D have as president? Uh, to the best of my knowledge, uh, it's somewhere between three and four. Do He's you think? Do you do you, do you get the sense that we're going to hear more from Michael D? Between now well, and when he has to go? Michael D is a very clever uh, politician and statesman before he became president. And I think he, um, he's, he's, he's been used of walking the constitutional tightrope, both as a minister and uh, Labour de- deputy in the past. He's, uh, um, he's uh, an extremely intelligent man of his, own, uh, of his own record, a very bright man. And uh, I think in his own subtle way from time to time, he'll... he'll um, Maybe cross that border a little, and um, I, I can't, uh, I can't anticipate that this rebuff uh, of sorts from the government um, uh, will, in, in actual fact, deter him from uh, staying uh, silent I, over yeah, the next yeah, three I have, years. I, I have to, I have to agree with you. He's also hugely popular. Oh with, yes, with the, 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 the Irish no people. It, yeah. yeah, he can He's do. He's a man it. of the people. I saw him. I saw him in the Ryan Tuberty show. I see him at matches, and he moves around. And fortunately for me, I have met him on a few occasions, and he's a very affable guy. And uh, I think that. Um, I think the government are in more danger of, of being damaged by his statement than than uh, uh, the president himself because he won't be removed and any attempt by the government to go down that road, uh, I think there'll be sparks flying. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Listen, Dennis, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thank and you thanks too. for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Fianna Fáil Senator Dennis O'Donovan on the uh, lack of neurological nurses. We are short 16 here in Cork, which is a frightening figure. And actually, when 
Dennis mentioned the health minister, Stephen Donnelly. I'm just seeing this is coming from this morning. Stephen Donnelly, this is on COVID-19, is expressing concern. Obviously, there's a rise in cases in COVID-19. I think everyone accepts now we're in this summer wave of uh, COVID-19. And he's urging people over the age of 65 and those who are immune compromised to avail of the second uh, briefing. There's now been a threefold increase in hospital cases in recent uh, weeks. And of, of those people that are in ho- in hospital, many of them are over the age of uh, 65. And it does seem that people over the age of 65 who are entitled to a second booster, not all of them have taken the second uh, booster. Seven in every 10 COVID patients in hospital are aged over 65. And he's, adhere- he's appealing to people to adhere to the public health uh, advice, which is obviously still recommending face masks on public transport sport and healthcare settings but he's doing a shout out to people over the age of 65 if you have been called for your second booster and I don't know what the reason why not everybody over the age of 65 has gone forward I think I'm my, my thinking on it could be that because so many people picked up Omicron it could be a case that over 65s while they may be they may have got the call to get their booster but they're not entitled to get it because you have to wait so many weeks after you've been infected I'm wondering has that got anything to do with there hasn't been the big take up as there had been with, with the first rollout of the vaccines but there's an appeal gone out now from the Minister for Health if you are aged over 65 are you immune compromised and you are entitled to get a second booster you've been called for a second booster please go along and uh, get it because they are starting to worry about the number of people in hospital with uh, COVID-19 0818103103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862103103 Court today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Bishop Galvin Central School in Newcastle in West Cork is this year celebrating its Golden Jubilee, opening as a school in September of 1971. A weekend of celebrations are planned for next weekend, which includes the launch of a book outlining the 50 years of the school. And joining me is the current principal of Bishop Galvin Central School, and that's Dorothy uh, O'Donovan. Good morning to you, Dorothy. Good morning. And you're, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, your school, I suppose, just to look back, was an amalgamation of smaller schools uh, at the time. Talk to me about those early days and what you know of those early days back in the early 70s. Yes. Our school, uh, as you say, is, a, is an amalgamation of four schools that were in the parish at the time. We're a very, very long parish. We stretch from uh, Marat on the outskirts of Enniskeen to Temple Martin near Clodove. So we, ha- we had a, a school in Maubeg, we had a school in Mount Pleasant, we had a school in Nooses Town itself, and our other school was in Grands. So it stretched over a very wide area. And the decision was made in 1971, spearheaded by the parish priest at the time, Father John Ford, to close the smaller schools and to make one central school in the parish. So it was a big uh, decision at the time and it brought about a lot of changes. Yeah, but hence the reason that the word central is even in the school. It's not a name that you often see on uh, national schools. And, And named after Bishop... Galvin. Now, That's right. a lot of people won't know who Bishop Galvin was. Yes. 
Well, Bishop Calvin was a Town native. He was born in the village here. And um, early, in, he decided to join the priesthood. He went off to study in Maynooth at the time in the early 1900s. And as at was the time, there was an awful lot of priests in the diocese. So he was sent off to New York originally. And then he decided to go to China to, you know, work over in China to spread the gospel. Um, he co-founded the Columban Missionary Society. Um, and they're still a huge uh, missionary society today. Mm. They work in 17 countries and they also publish the Far East. Um, so uh, really, uh, he was a, a huge uh, role model and we still celebrate his life every year in the school. Is there any, I wonder, is he, is he any relatives, any ancestors still in the area? He does. Um, there's a Michael Galvin has written a book ab- about him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, he, he was actually one of the most bombed bishops <laughs> in China, if you would believe, oh. because he went through an awful lot of wars at the time and famine and, you know, um, the time of the Chinese Re- Revolution when the communists arrived. So he had a huge challenge in his life, but was a great leader at the time. Yeah, and, and I think something lovely about the fact that he's still remembered today uh, by having having the school named after him. Absolutely, So, yes. so back, back in 71, this brand new building, this brand new school yes. would have been built for the pupils who would have come from these smaller yes. and I'm assuming much older schools. Absolutely, absolutely. Excitement must have been unreal. I'd say so. And in our book, we go and we uh, interview some of the first uh, pupils. And even now, they would say it was such a huge change. They were used to walking to school with their siblings, maybe over two kilometres or two miles. And then all of a sudden, they were collected on these big buses and and to brought to school here in Newstown. Some of them actually didn't even know where Newstown was. <laughs> they might have gone to, you know, uh, to Dove, to Mass or wherever. And they, But it was a massive change, but one that they really, really all enjoyed. Even the new facilities, they couldn't get over the lighting and I think even the toilets, the flush toilets were, was a great thing at the time. And that's only 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so hard to believe, like it is in some ways it's only 50 years ago yes. and it's a lifetime away in absolutely. other ways and of course the yellow bus the big yes. bus would have pulled up in the area absolutely yes and as I say some of them some of the pupils would never have been on a bus before I'd actually say most of them were never on a bus before so it was a huge uh, a great development for them but a, a, a big change big change for families too and for parents to let their children go off on the bus to school every day now I, I got a Michael Scanlon, your your chairman of the yes. of the board, sent me on a, a PDF copy of the book, which yes. I, I was reading. It's a fantastic book, uh, I have to say. And there's been so many changes in yes. the school, hasn't there? O- yes. Over the and a, a lot of the work, like a lot of input from the local community. Absolutely, absolutely. Our school is very, very much immersed in our in our local community. Then and now, I mean, the generosity of the community when the school was built, first of all, the 10% of the uh, payments came from the, the parishioners' contributions. They raised over four and a half thousand pounds in 1971 to contribute to the school. They did the same in 1991 when we needed to uh, replace the school roof. 
actually there was £75,000, which was a huge amount of money in 1991, was raised for the school. So it's very much immersed in the community and we've an awful lot of very good, strong community groups that would, you know, associate their identity with the school because before that, people maybe from Grands wouldn't have had an identity with Town. So it's really, really built up the parish and built up our sense of community. And you're, you're not stopping there. You have further expansion plans. We do, that's right. Yeah, that, we're, I suppose we're, we really try to be as an in, uh, inclusive and welcoming school as we can be. Last year we opened up our first uh, dedicated class for ASD children. Well done. And next year we're opening up uh, an SEN base. So we'll have a second ASD class. And it's going to be, you know, it's a huge project. It's over one and a half million euro. Um, but it's a, it's a, it a, has been a great addition to our school and all of the staff and pupils have really embraced the change. OK, and what's gorgeous about uh, this book that you're launching at the weekend are the photographs. Yes, they are. <laughs> Did lovely. you have any problems getting all the photographs? No, we, we just sent out, we, we sent out messages throughout the, the last six to eight months asking people for old photographs and memorabilia. And I think what's lovely too is the diaspora, the pupils from all over the world. We've, we've pupils from Alaska, we've pupils from Australia, from Dubai, from all over the world who sent in photographs. And the ones I suppose that are particularly lovely are the ones of the, the 1970s and the 1980s when there weren't that many photographs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're really nice to see those in it. And you've named every single pupil that ever walked through. Yes, the doors. We yeah, have. We it. have. Now it was a dedicated group of people that came together to put this book together, um, and you know the people that went to the trouble of trying to get every name. Uh, so every name of every child is in the book on the roll books. So a huge thank you, I suppose, to Jerry O'Mani, our photograph editor, Michael Crowley, our the editor of the book, and all the other people, Donny Keane, former principals, who were involved in doing that because it was a massive uh, under. Taking. Yeah, and um, also, I suppose, the children in the school, the teachers in the school, past and present, all got involved, which may, I think it may, you'll see how, how what a nice uh, publication it's it is. Lovely. It's lovely, it really is lovely. And you were the, am I right in saying you're the fourth principal in I'm the 50-year I am history. the fourth principal, yes, and the first female, which is good for okay. the women of Ireland. <laughs> uh, okay, and when did you first join the staff? I joined the staff in 2002. So I'm here 20 years. OK, and you joined what? What class were you originally teaching? I was originally teaching in junior infants. Yeah. And then when Donny Keane became a walking principal, I moved up the ranks. I went up to sixth class, which was a huge change. Yeah, yeah. And, and you sound like somebody who absolutely adores your job. I do, I do. You know, it's a marvellous community and I think the weekend is going to be just a real celebration of not just our school, but the community that we live in. And I, I, I really do. I say there's a wonderful staff here. I know you're launching the book on Friday night. That's right. Uh, is that in the school or where, where are you yes, launching? that's going to be in the school. We're hoping that it'll be an outdoor event. We're hoping if the, if the weather is good to us, it'll be an outdoor event. We have Paddy Palmer as our MC. That's on Friday night and we're hoping to hopefully sell a few copies of the book on Friday night. Saturday then we have uh, people, the school is open for the weekend for people to come and have a look around. We have a history talk on Saturday with Michael Crowley and another uh, local history 
historian Sean Crowley and then on Sunday we're going to have a, a family fun day and that's also going to be a fundraiser for our playground that we're hoping to develop in the community in the next 12 months. And I take it you're on school holidays are you from this We'll week? be on school holidays on Tuesday and we'll be looking forward to that. Okay, alright. It is nice to get to end the break but the children themselves will be uh, very excited about it. It's Absolutely. A, as, as I say I, I have no connection to the school but I found it an absolutely delightful read and, oh, and well, well done that. well done to everybody uh, connected with it and good luck with the celebrations at the weekend and with the sale of the book I don't think you're going to have any problem uh, selling the book but listen Hopefully. Dorothy real pleasure to talk to you thank you for that thank you very much and thank uh, you. thanks for joining us uh, bye bye what a lovely principal that's Dorothy O'Donovan and she's the principal of Bishop Galvin Central School in Newcestown uh, celebrating 50 years in existence this year you're listening to Cork Today on Replay phone and text lines are currently closed a couple of comments in uh, picking up on Senator Dennis O'Donovan who joined us in the last hour talking about the shortfall in neurological nurses. Now it is a nationwide issue uh, but particularly acute here in uh, Cork. International recommendations state that the size of Cork University Hospital and the area of which it covers for Cork and Kerry that we need to have at least 20 specialist nurses in neurology and at the moment we have four. So it's a shortfall of 16. Listen to this for an example of how healthcare should work. Martin says very interesting discussion on specialist nurses on your programme this morning Patricia. I know the situation here in the UK, Martin, I was listening to us online, is very different. But to give you an example, I'm living in Southampton and I recently had a cancer scare. The GP on the phone sent me for an endoscope at the local general hospital. A week later, I was at the hospital to have my endoscope carried out by a specialist nurse. And then there was a follow up scan. It was that specialist nurse who phoned me to let me know everything was okay, all the results were clear. At no time did I actually see a doctor. It was the specialist nurse. Hence, you know, given the importance of these specialist nurses and the role that they actually uh, play. National Health Service in the UK was excellent, says uh, Martin. Good to know, Martin, that you had a good result there, but a very different scenario. Bless your heart, if you were here in Ireland, you'd be on a list and you'd still be waiting to be seen if you were waiting on the public health system here, uh, for sure. Um, Continue good health to you, Martin. Hi, Patricia. As Dennis is talking about nurses, just to tell you my story, I've got a special needs adult who is tube fed at home. When I have a problem with the tube in that it can get blocked, I usually have to head to the Mercy Hospital because we don't have a clinical nurse that deals with this problem. It is an absolute joke. And what a waste of resources as well. Huge waste for you from a carer's point of view, from a time point of view, having to get into the Mercy Hospital. The hospitals are already under pressure. And that is something that if there was, as you say, a clinical nurse who could come into the home, you're obviously a fantastic carer. You know exactly what you're doing. You know when there's a problem with the, with the tube. If there could be a clinical nurse there who would call to you, sort that problem out. It, it just it would save money. It's cost effective as well. It makes absolutely no uh, sense. Thank you for your text to 086 uh, to 103 103. Then on um, the vaccines and the call that we heard this morning from Stephen Donnelly, he's still encouraging and, and actually I just heard there when we were running our ad to news, the, the HSE ad saying to people over the age of 65, you need to get your second booster. 
if you are eligible for one are people who are immune compromised. John says, Patricia, now that COVID is now endemic in Ireland, it still is deemed a pandemic. The World Health Organization still hasn't changed to endemic. But I think a lot of people, John, will agree with you and feels it is endemic now in Ireland rather than a pandemic. And variants will be with us for years to come. Only one third of the over 65s have had the second booster. I had mine, says John, in Bantry Health Centre two weeks ago. Very efficient and a very friendly service, says John. And I know we'd a call in from somebody else who is against the uh, boosters and uh, feel they become unwell, unwell under the, uh, after their uh, booster. I, I'm not going to get into comments like that and I'm not ignoring your comment, but you can never prove that you got um, it was that you became unwell as a direct result. Could it just have been a coincidence? It's it's very hard to know. But the evidence is there on vaccines and on getting the booster. The evidence is clearly there why we are in a wave at the moment this summer wave of COVID-19 and more and more people are getting it and are getting reinfected. What the vaccine is doing is it is saving people from getting very unwell and ending up in ICU and ultimately ended up dying and that's always what a vaccine will do. A vaccine won't stop you getting COVID-19 but it stops you getting very unwell and even I was seeing a piece that the nursing homes there is a bit of a worry at the moment with uh, nursing uh, homes because there is a growing, there's an increase in cases amongst residents. And I saw Ty Daly, we've often spoken with, he's the chief executive with Nursing Homes uh, Ireland. Um, He obviously was one of the ones he feels as well, we need to be back to mask uh, wearing. But he's talking about staff in uh, nursing homes. You know, there's still serial testing going on in many nursing homes and the booster campaign uh, is, is underway as well. But they are seeing more outbreaks But thankfully, because of vaccines and because of boosters, people are not getting as unwell. But obviously, it has a huge knock-on effect in a nursing home if there's an outbreak in a nursing home because it's going to restrict visitors and the need to protect uh, everybody else. But at least people are not getting very unwell. But yeah, but John, you're right. If you get called for your booster, then you certainly need to uh, go along. Hi, Patricia. Great show. Thank you very much. There's very, very little talk about people who have not been vaccinated and who have also never got COVID. Any explanation for this? Out everywhere, shopping, several weddings a few breaks away around Ireland Did, didn't travel anywhere in 2020 but living is normal other than that and I'm assuming you're talking about yourself that you're, you're on you decided not to get uh, vaccinated you're very lucky you obviously have a really good strong immune system or else you're just not coming in contact uh, with anybody with uh, COVID-19 because we are still hearing of people who became are becoming very unwell who haven't been vaccinated and the only evidence that I can talk about or point to to show that vaccines are working particularly with the Omicron variant is Hong Kong. If you do some research into Hong Kong at the moment they worldwide have had the highest number of deaths from the Omicron variant of uh, COVID-19 and it is directly linked to the fact that they have got a very low uptake of vaccines because they didn't go down the vaccine route in Hong Kong. They went for the zero COVID instead so they just go for lockdowns rather than vaccinating uh, people and now because of that uh, around the rest of the world where there is a lot of vaccines going on people who do pick up Omicron are not becoming very unwell. Now some people will still become very unwell particularly immune compromised and older people but for the majority 
majority of the population, if they have been vaccinated, when they get Omicron, they're not becoming very unwell. But that's not the same uh, in countries where they haven't gone down the vaccination route. And six, certainly for the over 65s in Hong Kong, they've had the biggest number of deaths from Omicron and it's because they are not vaccinated. But you've just been very lucky. And some people, you don't know, maybe you've a natural immunity against it. It's a little bit like, certainly I was of the generation growing up where we didn't have the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine. Thankfully, they've all but been eradicated because of the MMR vaccine. But I certainly remember as as a child, in one case, my brother getting mumps and we all desperately in his room with him, hoping that we would get it because he didn't seem very sick and he was being in bed pampered and you were all hoping that you get a few days off school if you get the mumps and none of the rest of us got it. And then I remember rubella. I remember I got rubella in, in my house, German measles. Nobody else got it. So, you know, you'll always get viruses that for one reason you, you can be around people and you're not going to pick it up, but you obviously have a very good and a healthy immune system and long, long may that last uh, for you. And thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862103103. People still on about when the prisons and the in the cells and everybody getting in in cell phone. Now it's going to take a couple of years for every cell, but the plan is that every single prison cell in this country will have a landline. Mike says the law is too soft. It needs to change. Somebody else says, hi Patricia, I'll be off to hold up the nearest business. I'll be then heading to a five star prison afterwards. I'll have no phone bills to worry about, no TV bills uh, to worry about, no TV license to worry about. Only joking, but in fairness, it does sound like a little bit of a joke that everyone in a prison cell is getting their own land uh, line. 0862103103. And Ross says, Patricia, listening to the medical problems that we're having in this country and Senator Dennis O'Donovan saying the needs that we have for neurological uh, nurses. And yet earlier, you're talking about where we're, we're spending money putting phones in for criminals. None of that is making any sense, says uh, Ross. And here's something completely different, and I don't have the answer to this. Maybe somebody else does. Hi, Patricia. I've just had a cup of tea and I used soya milk. I thought it was much nicer than cow's milk. Is there anyone making soya milk here in uh, Ireland? Signed a regular listener. I don't I don't know. I mean, soya has become extremely popular. I mean, soya milk is certainly an alternative to people. You know, the way a lot of people have a lactose problem. So you will get a lot of people using soya milk. And obviously, if you're going down a vegan diet, that people used soya. I did a quick Google search during news when your text uh, came in but I actually couldn't find any Irish producer of soya milk that's not to say that there isn't an Irish producer of uh, soya milk if anybody can tell can tell us is is there any Irish producer of soya milk a lot of soya milk available certainly all of the supermarkets there was a time when you would you would have gone to almost like a health food store to have picked up something like that but every because vegetarianism and veganism is becoming so popular there now it is widely widely available in all of the supermarkets but does anybody know is there any Irish producer it's obviously somebody who likes the idea of supporting Irish businesses and would like if possible if there is a soya milk on the market that's guaranteed Irish would like to be promoting them instead if anyone can tell us 0818 103 103 and hi Patricia I worked as an oncology 
nurse for over 20 years, mostly in Ireland. And they take so long within the HSE to fill clinical nurse specialists in general posts that it's frustrating for those patients who are looking for care from those nurses in the hospital and from the community. And that certainly seems to be what is happening with the neurological nurses because as I mentioned when I chatted with Dennis O'Donovan the Neurological Alliance of Ireland who obviously are a group that campaign for people who are living with neurological uh, conditions they actually started a campaign highlighting the fact that CUH has 16 vacancies or needs there are vacancies but international recommendations would say CUH should have 20 specialists in neurology and I think nationwide we should have a hundred specialist nurses in neurology and we have nothing close to that and the National or the Neurological Alliance of Ireland actually launched a campaign that they call Patients Deserve Better and they launched that campaign in October of last year highlighting how more nurse specialists in neurology we needed not just in Cork but also nationwide and they don't seem to be getting anywhere which is really, really unfortunate. Uh, thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862103103. And no, I haven't forgotten my competition. <laughs> Somebody says, Patricia, are you playing the Christy Moore track? I am. OK, I have a clip of a Christy Moore track. Let me play it for you. Life is an ocean and love is a boat. Now, do you know the name of that well-known Christy Moore song? If you do, I now need you to text the name of the song along with your name and address, please, to 086 103 103. You can text it, you can WhatsApp it, but obviously only enter if you are have nothing to do on Saturday night and you would love the idea of heading off to the marquee to see the one and only Christy Moore live. Life is an ocean and love is a boat. Do you know the name of that song? If you do, get texting and WhatsApping now 0862 103 103 for your chance to win a pair of tickets to Christy Moore live at the Marquee next Saturday night. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. A special flute quartet will be playing a lunchtime concert at the Square in Middleton today from half past 12... At about seven minutes' time until 2 pm. It's part of the local live series of performances, which has been supported by Cork County Council and the Department of Arts, Culture and Heritage. And a midsummer open air platform dance will be held at the O'Neill Ma- Monument in Bantry, nine o'clock tonight, dancing to Jerry McCarthy and Liam Healy. Now, if the weather is wet, they'll transfer instead to Cora Parish Hall. Carrie GAA are holding a three-ball better ball golf classic tomorrow Wednesday and again on Thursday. It's at the East Cork Golf Club presentation of prizes then will be held on Thursday night in Gilders Bar. You can go along to the carrytoolgaa.com website to find out more. And a fundraiser for the Make Dunmanway an Autism Friendly Town initiative will be held on Saturday with a darts display by five times world darts champion Raymond Barney Van Barneveld. 
a great night is short, lots of prizes and music. And tickets are available through ticketstop.ie. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. And thank you to a listener who just wants to call out a public toilet. Now, we often hear from people if they go into a public toilet and they're in bad condition. It's always good if somebody goes into a public toilet and it's in good condition to call it out as well. And this gentleman says, I had occasion to needed to use the Dunmanway public toilets. I found them very clean and fresh smelling. Zero problem with the gents' toilet in Dunmanway. Fair play to them, just to give credit where credit is due. And I always think that is good. We're, we're the first to moan and give out when something goes wrong. So it's good at times when you get when you see something like that, that the council doing everything that they can to keep those toilets maintained. And obviously no vandalism, thankfully, going on in the area because that's a huge, huge problem that we have with a lot of our public toilets is vandalism. It's nothing at all to do with the council trying to do their bit to maintain them. It is purely down to um, people just too much time on their hands and we've been asked to give a shout out that two pairs of glasses were left on the roof of a car and then the owners drove off and forgot that they'd left their glasses on the top of the car they were leaving Nazareth House heading towards Mallow It would have been on the hill out of Drumahan. They reckon that the glasses would have fallen off. Helen in Mallow, if anybody is out walking, keep a lookout, please, from Nazareth House heading towards Mallow, round the hill, because at that point, Helen would have been driving quite slowly, leaving Nazareth House. So you, you assume that the glasses may have stayed on the roof of the car. But if anybody has spotted those or picked up a one or ideally the two pairs of glasses, can you give us a call here, please? And we'll put you in contact with Helen, who lost those glasses. 0818103103. And all of the papers today have wonderful, happy, smiling photographs of the almost 1000 people who became Irish citizens for the first in-person citizenship ceremony that's been held in over two years, obviously due to COVID. They couldn't do any of the in-person ones. 950 people from 92 different countries were confirmed with Irish citizenship. And and I don't know why, but they all seem to hold it in Killarney, don't they? It was once again held in uh, Killarney. There was more applicants from Britain than any other uh, nation. And that's no surprise. Obviously, that's got so much to do with uh, Brexit. Uh, We now have 111 new citizens who were from Britain. 97 have come from India. 77 from Romania. 72 from Poland. 52 new citizens hailed from Nigeria and 48 coming from uh, Brazil. But 92 countries in total were represented yesterday. At 81 years of age, that was the oldest person to be conferred with Irish citizenship. And that's a man that we would deem one of our own. That's film producer David Putnam. Of course, he is a native of uh, Britain, but along with his beautiful wife, Patsy, they were both made Irish citizens yesterday. And there's gorgeous photographs of David Putnam looking very happy and smiling in the Kerry sunshine uh, yesterday. And of course, we class David Putnam and, and his wife, Patsy, as one of our own because they've been living 
in West Cork. I was shocked when I saw it in the paper for 32 years. I would have said maybe the last 20 years that they're actually 32 years living in West Cork. And as they both said yesterday, this is home. Getting Irish citizenship brought together the affection for where they lived and for this country and what it represents. That's what David Putnam had to say yesterday. He added that over the last few years, Britain has uh, transformed and has not become the country he said I was born into. It has ceased to have the values that I really believe it to have. And this is a very painful thing for David Putnam to say. He said it was important for him to attend in person the ceremony yesterday. And he's pictured in the paper. And I, I saw there was another picture of him actually with the... Justice Minister Helen McEntee as well. She was at that ceremony yesterday and she heralded the sense of joy in the large auditorium and she went on during her speech to reference Ireland's own history of emigration in her keynote speech at the INEC uh, yesterday. And Justice Minister, now it wasn't at the citizenship ceremony yesterday. I think it was later on she announced that she is set to welcome her second child in December. Helen McEntee posted a photograph on her Insta. Oh, it was actually last night, so it was after she got back from uh, Kerry. And she put up this very sweet picture on her Instagram of her one-year-old son, Michael. And he was wearing a T-shirt saying, I'm going to be a big brother. And she just put the caption underneath it. So Michael has some news to share. And it has been confirmed now that Helen McEntee set to welcome her second child in uh, December. And it's also been confirmed that she is going to take maternity leave. She is, she became the first, you remember, cabinet minister to take maternity leave when she took six months off last year after their, after her husband also took six months paternity uh, leave and she has uh, confirmed that she's going to take maternity leave as well. And of course then everybody, all the eagle eyes, everybody then looking at the dress that she had on yesterday. You can actually see and you can see it in a lot of the photographs today. She's a wonderful tiny little baby bump. So uh, good luck to Helen McEntee and to her uh, husband on the forthcoming birth of their child in December. 0818103103. We can stop the texting on our Christy Moore competition. Life is an ocean and love is a boat. That song, of course, is called The Voyage and so many people uh, got it correct. Well done, but there can only be one winner of a pair of tickets to go live at the Marquee on Saturday night. And dun, 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 Rosie Kelly in Newmarket. Congratulations to you, Ro- Rosie. You de- now have to decide who you're going to bring with you. And you can head live to the Marquee for Christy Moore one night only next Saturday night, the 25th of June. And we have another pair of tickets to give away tomorrow and indeed every day this week to get you to see Christy live at the marquee. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Just when we're giving away the Christy Moore tickets uh, there in the middle of all the texts coming in, somebody says, I've got tickets for Christy Moore since before COVID. Are they still okay for Saturday night? Uh, Just checking, this was a press release from Aiken last year when they had to reschedule so many live at the Marquee uh, events. And actually one of the first ones that they rescheduled was the Christy Moore for this Saturday uh, night. And they say uh, tickets can be held on to for the rescheduled dates. Are you entitled to a uh, re- 
refund as well. But yes, you can use the tickets that you purchased for last year for the rescheduled uh, dates. So enjoy the gig. Joe Heffernan uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And, and you're very welcome uh, to Thank the programme. Now, we're discussing something, and I read this report uh, during the week and the studies that are coming out showing that all of the COVID lockdowns and everything that happened uh, during uh, COVID, that a number of people who are suffering from depression has increased dramatically. There's a big worry about younger people, between, I think particularly the 18 to 24-year-olds. They're yeah. seeing a marked increase in rise in depression. And this would be people who I'm assuming who never would have suffered or battled with depression in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And be, before we get into that, to just say for one moment, to thank Anthony in Limerick, who sent me on a lovely little present for my 76th birthday, which was the 11th of June. Happy birthday. And to say thank you, Anthony. Okay, happy um, birthday. Yeah. Now, thank you. Thanks. Now, um, yeah, yeah, some major studies. Um, uh, I suppose when one thinks about depression, um, you know... Uh, You'd often hear the expression, somebody saying, yeah, I'm feeling a bit down. Um, may, um, uh, I, I, I found the lockdowns very hard. I felt very alone. And uh, I think I've become quite a bit isolated uh, since it all happened because I suppose we lost touch with people that we regularly were in touch with. We regularly went out to go to the cinema um, or we did anywhere we'd like that and um, we'd go out for the odd meal and all of that went by the board and um, the result of that then is in a kind of a post-traumatic way we, we got to a stage where we didn't want to meet people at all because they sort of represented a threat um, you know <laughs> in, a, in a very strange way people became the enemy Um uh, uh, I, I would have been guilty of the very same thing. You know, if somebody coughed uh, behind me, I'd feel I, I've got to move. Um, uh, all of that. So there was um, reduced um, socialising. Um, I think that became part of it, Patricia. Um, yeah, I, and, and very yeah. easy then to almost further isolate yourself that even as the world is wakening up and people are coming back out, out after COVID, if you became very isolated, even if you're getting invites to go to places, people are starting to say, oh, no, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And maybe you need to question why you're saying no to to, to invites. Yeah, yeah. Like we, we went to a concert now in um, the McAuliffe Centre um, in in, um, in in Newmarket. It's uh, renovated and beautifully done uh, church. Um, of old and um, uh, uh, Patrick Fleming was um, uh, launching his uh, CD of the music of Schlieff Lucre and um, there were singers and music galore um, Timmy O'Connor was playing there I, I think Timmy is well into his mid 80s and um, it was a great all night but then when we came home we started thinking about the news thing of um, COVID numbers rising. And then we wondered if that kind of information uh, was uh, all over the news like the week before 
would we have gone? Now, as it turns out, we're delighted we went. Yeah, it was a yeah. great night, and Pat's um, CD is, uh, is, is, is really good. And you start um, to feel a bit normal again. Well, you see, there was that in it. We were actually sitting at a concert with other people, and that was, like, really, really strange. Um, uh, uh, and, and then, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, any, any gathering... Uh, I, I, I'm hearing now recently, um, I think you had it on the news on C103 today, I think it got mentioned that quite a few gigs are being cancelled. Mm. Um, uh, again, uh, gatherings anyway, we'll say. And uh, I'm delighted that the likes of Christie is on in the Live at the Marquee. And um, if, if you have a couple of those tickets to spare, Patricia. <laughs> <laughs> They're like a gold dust at this I stage, know, I can tell you. I okay, know. you've got 12 questions that you want to you put to people. And this is just to, for people to assess that maybe they are feeling a bit depressed. And, you know, how would you know you're feeling a bit depressed? So these are simple yes and no questions. They're simple yes and no. And um, uh, if the person would just keep track, either mentally or on a piece of paper, of the yeses. Now, this is not in any way meant to replace um, the visit to your GP. We always put that top of the list for checking things out, um, uh, you know, but it could be an indication. I'll put it that way. It could be a handy little test of do I need to go and have a chat with the GP? So that's as much as we'd be claiming now for this. But will I go ahead with yeah, the please do, questions? Yeah. yeah, please do. Okay. Now, yes or no, I feel sad most of the time. Yes or no. I get no pleasure from anything these days. Yes or no. I have no energy. Yes or no. I awake early, not feeling rested, and I don't get back to sleep. Number five, I find I can't concentrate or remember. Yes or no? Uh, I'm noticing as we're going along with this that a lot of these um, uh, issues would have come up as well in long COVID and in COVID, but um, this is a test for, um, or a screening test for depression. Number six, I have had dramatic weight gain or weight loss without having, you know, been on a diet to uh, uh, intending to lose weight, we'll say. Number seven, seven, I'm difficult to get along with recently. I can be very irritable, yes or no. Number eight, I don't like myself the way I am these days, yes or no. Number nine, I worry quite a lot about my physical health? Yes or no? Number 10, I feel guilty for no real valid reason that I can think of, but I feel guilty. Number 11, I I find I can't or find it extremely difficult to make decisions. Yes or no? And then um, a really big one would be, I have had thoughts of killing myself. 
Mm. Yes, I'll know. Now, when I do the Beck Depression Infantry, one of the questions on it that I do regularly with clients would be, um, thought of killing myself but wouldn't do it. Now, that's uh, almost the majority of people would take that one on that Beck one because thoughts can pass through our mind um, and it can be for, you know, it can be for the most uh, peculiar of reasons. Like, I get a puncture on the road, kind of, um, you know, mm. um, I, I overreact. So there's, there's a world, there are planets of, of difference and distance between a thought and an act. Yeah, an act, so, you're doing something else. Um, okay, you know, so of, of those 12 uh, statements, h- how many do you, would you have needed to have said yes to to be a wake-up call that you may need to go talk to somebody? And the answer to that, according to this little survey, would be six. That if you answered yes to six of these, or uh, obviously are more, then you should have a word with your GP or uh, open up to someone, some very trusted friend, maybe, or attend someone in the counselling psychotherapy um, profession. Um, uh, a lot of people, when they would, um, uh, when I would do that um, uh, uh, inventory, um, a, a much more detailed one um, in the office, um, a person say, yeah, but if I go to the doctor now, will I be put on medication? You and see, this is, yeah, that yeah, is, but that, that's a big one for people. People have a fear factor. And, yeah. and I don't know where it stems from, but people have a fear factor. Oh, if I go talk to a GP, they're going to say I'm depressed. I'm going to be on antidepressants. And for some people, it's almost like a stigma. And it, and it shouldn't be. No, no. I mean, if you, if you, if you broke your toe, you'd be taking some painkillers. Um, if you had a cholesterol problem, uh, you'd probably be on one of the statins, etc., etc., and um, you know our our uh, our mental health is every bit as well, absolutely uh, just as important as our physical health. But we tend to deal with our physical symptoms, um, no problem. Yeah, and we'll have, you know? and we'll think nothing of taking you know what's prescribed by the doctor and openly talking about it to people. Oh, I've you know an underactive thyroid, and I have to go on eltharoxin or whatever it is. Uh, but yet, n- nobody's going around going, I'm feeling depressed, I'm on antidepressants. Yeah, yeah, for, for you know, and that's fine if the person, they're entitled to their privacy, of course. But the, t- the, the peculiar thing about it is that quite a few people that I would have been talking with down through the years who have gone to see their GP have been rather surprised that they are not um, prescribed medication. Uh, in many cases, they would have been prescribed, if that's the right word, um, maybe lifestyle changes, maybe diet, uh, maybe exercise, um, uh, maybe staying in touch. We we might have a look at these issues next week. Um, staying in touch with friends and family and that. So that, like, um, it isn't inevitable in any way that if someone does attend the GP, it, it's not automatically a fact that they're going to come away um, 
uh, with a prescription for medication um, for either depression or anxiety. It might be that lifestyle uh, changes are, are suggested. Needed instead. Yeah. And then for those that do end up walking out mm. of the GP sur- surgery with the prescription, it doesn't mean that you're going to be on them for life. It may in many cases mean the medication will get you over this hump and then you can look at what's going on in your life and then we're able to come off it. Absolutely. And the other thing is that um, there are there are uh, a fairly big array of antidepressants and one will be very suitable for one person and very unsuitable for another person. But instead of kind of... Um, saying antidepressants are not for me, it would be maybe it needs to be changed to another uh, medication that would be um, highly suitable. So, um, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if things are not going well with the original prescription, well, rather than throw out, uh, what is it, the baby with the bathwater, bath yeah. to go back and say, look, that one just isn't suiting me at all. And there probably are, I, I wouldn't like to put a number on it, but there are quite a number of other medications. And um, one may find that, um, oh, yeah, that one really does suit, and I'm feeling so much better. Um, a combination, uh, Patricia, that often works very well, is a combination of what we'll call medication and talk therapy. That one does, it's not either or. Um, it can be both. And uh, in my own experience, uh, down through the years, uh, the combination of both works. often works extremely well. Yeah, yeah. And somebody's yeah. saying your first port of call should always be uh, your GP. But somebody's saying exactly what you've just said there, uh, Joe. Uh, I battled with depression many years ago. I ended up going to the doctor. It took uh, an awful lot of strength to go to the doctor to say I needed help. He put me on to medication. I ended up going to somebody the likes of Joe and I have never looked back people need to people need to stop suffering in silence and someone else says Joe has simple advice for all ages I've huge regard for him and I look forward to his slot every uh, Tuesday he always gives great advice thank you Joe says another listener okay that's nice okay listen have a great week and we will chat to you again next week and thanks for joining us thank you Patricia good afternoon that is Joe Heffernan who runs a counselling practice in Bohubui his number is 086 8348145086 That's where I've got to leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock on to the Lamp Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. 
Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 